we want to be sure that our members have the opportunity, the opportunity to make a go at their business and to do well. When they are doing well, we know their communities are doing well. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, normally in St. Paul, Minnesota, but today in Houston, Texas again for the broadband communities in the Harrison Edwards studios of the broadband communities. That's the, the folks in the background or other podcasts and stuff. I'm sitting here next to Angie Cronenberg, who is the Chief Advocate and General Counsel of Encompass. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Chris. It's really been a pleasure to be in Houston with you for this fantastic conference at Broadband Communities. I'm excited that you still have some energy after what, like two hours of you. You had like a speed dating it was, panel. It thing. was about two and a half hours and it was really intense, but it was a lot of fun because we covered things from the affordable, affordable connectivity program mm -hmm. to overbuilding and what it means to really bring competition to consumers and small businesses, ensuring that they get access to high speed broadband networks which by the way, everyone needs. Right. Um, we needed to run our businesses. We needed it at home so we can school at home, do healthcare at home. I mean, so it's been a lot of fun talking to people, but to have that session and thank you for joining that session with yes. us to talk about quote overbuilding. Right. It was a, it was a very good um, way to wrap, wrap that up. I thought, first of all, I thought that was great. And, the, and one of the reasons I just want to have you on was I hadn't seen you run a panel before and it was terrific because I'm super critical of like, panels i feel like a lot of times the moderators aren't like asking good enough questions or being but it was it was really terrific and so thank you i've been told i'm a high energy person that mm -hmm. i can change the dynamics of a room just because of the way that i talk to people my facial mm -hmm. expressions you've known me a long time i am very expressive person yes. it was a lot of fun though to have these experts on these various issues who could present the topics and then I get to have interactions with. Um, right. And so it was just really being able to get down deep into the details. And then we had an opportunity for the audience to ask questions mm -hmm. as well. That keeps the audiences engaged. And we're not stuck just hearing about what does Andrew Cronenberg think and what questions do I have, right? Mm -hmm. But also what are the people who are actually building the networks, the local government officials and state government officials who are here and how they're thinking about all of this federal funding that's coming I mean, and as well, you know, how can they ensure that all of their communities are going to get access to mm -hmm. these new networks? So it was it was a really an energetic panel discussion that brought the audience in and kept them there. I mean, I was impressed at how many people stayed in that room for two and a half hours. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, you let off with Fletcher Kittredge, who's been on our show before, who's done he's done yeah. great work. And um, he's been on multiple shows that we've hosted uh, doing great work in Maine. He's a member of Encompass through GWI. Yes. And he has been for a while. What's Encompass? Oh, yeah. That's really great question. So <laughs> Encompass is the Internet and Competitive Networks Association. We're based in Washington, D.C. This is our 41st service year for our members. What we do is we represent their interests in front of the U.S. government. Um, so we mostly focus on the federal government, ensuring that there are policies in place that will promote and enable competitive choice in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. And by that, we mean competitive choice for a network as well as competitive choice for your online content companies. We have members who are builders. They are 
competing against others. They are building their own networks across the U.S. We've got some that are focused on last mile. We have others that are focused on middle mile. And we have others that are actually global providers. Mm -hmm. We also represent the content companies who are offering services on those networks. So think of the Googles of the world, the Netflixes of the world. So they're part of our membership as well. The one thing that we all have in common is that we all want good competitive communications policy in the U.S. to ensure that consumers and businesses have choice, no matter what it is that they're looking for. Are they looking for a video service? Are they looking for a voice service? Are they looking for some kind of a texting service? You know, they can get options. And what we think is, is that it's important for consumers to have options of their network providers, as well as options for their online content. Mm -hmm. So that's what we do. And we've been doing a lot of state and local work because of all this federal funding. So we've been trying to drive the right policy at the federal level, right? But then we're also trying to drive the right policies at the state and local level too. We partner with our members to best represent their interests. We work with them and collaborate with them. So I just got a question today from someone. How is it possible that you don't have a lot of conflicts in your membership? Because I work really hard to have the kinds of discussions around the table to collaborate with each other so that we can best represent everyone's interests in Washington, their state capitals, and way down at the local level. Right, and that, that includes um, everything from the legislation on, on the Hill that people think immediately about. Yes. And your, your boss is Chip Pickering from uh, Mississippi, uh, yes. a representative from Mississippi, who um, uh, who I think has, a, has an iconic voice and is just well known in this area. Yes. So Chip was a former member of Congress. Uh, prior to that, he was a staffer in the Senate. He worked for Senator Trent Lott. He was one of the staffers on the 1996 Telecom Act. And just as it passed, he was running for Congress, became a member of Congress. Then he was on the House Committee um, that has the jurisdiction on communications issues. Mm -hmm. um, he was uh, instrumental in ensuring that the competition piece of the Telecom Act of 1996 really was implemented in a way that brought as much competition as a possible could into the marketplace. But as we all know, those that was mostly focused on local telecom service that we thought of as voice service. And mm -hmm. as technologies change, we now need broadband to every person in the U.S. We need to ensure that they have the capability to access that broadband, right? But that they also have the choice of broadband providers. And so a lot of what we do at Encompass now is making sure that as we're looking at funding opportunities, that competitors have a shot at that funding and that the obligations of the, those who get funding, that they will allow for wholesale access of their networks. So we're not just funding monopoly networks, mm -hmm. right? But that they will be willing to provide um, opportunities for other providers to use their networks to connect and that they'll abide by obligations like open internet obligations and things so that folks can, can access the content um, mm -hmm. that they want online. And I want to I want to come back to that in a second. It's going to be a weird, but I also wanted to to button this up. First of all, um, Senator Trent Lott, yes, definitely focused on on internet on uh, voice, but also like I remember I look back at the legislative history because yeah. I was trying to get a sense of the whole municipal involvement. He was very excited about municipal electrics being able to get involved to provide broadband services. Absolutely, that was a big priority I mean, for him. There were uh, restrictions in the law. You know, cable couldn't compete against voice, the mm -hmm. telcos, and telcos couldn't compete against cable on video. Um, DBS was a new technology that was permitted under the 92 Cable Act. They were able to get access to 
the video programming that cable owned mm -hmm. in order to provide what competition. Um, direct broadcast satellite service. Mm -hmm. So think of DISH and Direct TV. Mm -hmm. You know, those services wouldn't have succeeded but for Congress setting some rules in place that allowed for competition. So they were anticipating that we would see additional services coming. And they called, they, at the time, they called broadband advanced telecom services. Right, right. We all call it broadband now. But so Congress was anticipating that they were setting the groundwork for more competition mm -hmm. and setting the groundwork for advanced technologies to come. So when people say, well, the 96 Act, it's really old. You know, it's 20, what, 20s, I can't do the math, 27 years old now, right. 26 years old now. You know, it's old. It's not really that useful. No, yeah. it laid the foundation to where we are today. Right, and people like John Chambers, right? I mean, people like, um, I'm trying to remember, the guy with the cowboy boots, like, who worked for Senator Stevens. Um, <laughs> um, I don't know if you can remember his name. <laughs> I interviewed him, like, seven years ago. Yeah. And at that time, like, he made it very clear. Um, I feel like I'm, I'm going to have to, like, look this up then. Um <laughs> Like they they knew what they were doing and they had a specific vision, and of course like there's always a challenge because like Congress can have a vision but the the executive branch and the courts will do what they're going to do with it. So right, and the agencies have to implement the laws right. ultimately, right? And we do need expert agencies like the FCC, mm -hmm. like the NTIA, um, and now we have the states and localities so involved in this mm -hmm. deployment. So there are a lot of different uh, areas for us to be advocating and making sure people understand the history, right, as well right. as the intent and the opportunities to improve. I see this as an evolution, right? We, we're constantly evolving. We need to make sure that we remember the intent and the purpose, but that we evolve to continue to improve and, and ensure that there's access, right. access to network, access to competitors, and um, access to opportunity. We talk about competition in the U.S., but it's also important to remember, like, with competition, we get better service, but it helps us compete internationally, too, because internationally, you know, they are building network, making sure that they have the new technology so that they secure their future. We need to be doing the same thing in the U.S. The guy in the cowboy boots <laughs> that I was referencing is Earl Comstock, who, um, who, is, uh, who is on back in... It was episode 89 in 2014 where um, we talked about some of this stuff back in the day. Yes. Um, so, um, so we do a lot of stuff on the Hill, but also your background, you worked at the FCC. I did. You have a real good sense of everything that's going on there. So, so this is something like you're involved in all of these different agencies, making sure that, that we're getting the right policies that we need. Yeah, just by way of my background a little bit, I had the honored to work for former FCC Commissioner Mignon Clyburn at the very beginning of the Obama administration. Mm -hmm. So I, I spent four years working with her on staff, representing the American people, ensuring that they had access to broadband as we knew it then, which was much slower and very different than what we think of today. Um, universal service was a very important issue. We were reforming all the universal service programs so that we could begin to fund broadband networks and broadband service. She was chair of the three joint boards that the FCC has with state commissioners, so I got to work directly with state commissioners on these issues. It really was a foundational experience for me mm -hmm. and helped me tremendously to move from the role of being the lawyer's lawyer, which I was in private practice at a law firm, to really thinking, putting on on the hat of being a policymaker and how to think about these issues as a policymaker. Um, and from the consumer perspective, I mean, she's known as being the commissioner 
on behalf of consumers. And that was a fantastic experience working right. with her. I've had the pleasure, um, recently she's been working with us on one of our campaigns at Encompass called Broadland. And Broadland, we started up to help support the funding that was coming from the American Rescue Plan as well as the infrastructure bill really trying to convince Congress that we needed to be funding fiber as far as possible because fi fiber too is the foundation for so many of the technologies including mm -hmm. 5G, ultimately 6G. We're going to need a lot, a lot of fiber in the U.S. Other countries have set fiber goals as well as gigabit speed goals. Right. And we were concerned, you know, that if we as the U.S., if we're going to spend these billions of dollars and we don't put the thumb on the scale on fiber, we're going to regret it. And so we started at Broadland, working with our member companies, Chip Pickering, my boss, and former FCC Commissioner Mignon Clyburn, our co-spokespeople for the campaign. So we sent them out and about to go talk to people, as well as to just bring to light the important stories of what our member companies are doing. They're bringing fiber to communities that have been left behind, that no one had been building fiber to. It's really exciting, you know, when they go and they partner with the local communities to build that fiber and bring access. It now ensures that school children there can have access to any information around the world, right? And that during the pandemic, especially, that they could school from home during those times that we were trying mm -hmm. to contain, you know, a, a virus that could really cause a lot of harm in the community. Well, and there's even weird indirect benefits. Like one of the things we see when that happens is that the incumbent provider that maybe had, maybe was neglecting that community will suddenly start investing more. And they might oh, absolutely. be, and then they might also be like sponsoring little league teams and trying to figure out how to improve their image. So they're actually giving more into the community too. And there's like really weird indirect benefits to the community that come from that competition. Yes, so true. Um, funny story about Mignon Clyburn. Were you there in Minneapolis? There was like a grassroots meeting toward the beginning. She was, she wasn't on the commission for very long. I was there. <laughs> I think we met you. Were you there when, when she met Al Franken in the green room? Yes. Because I, I just remember him. Like, I felt like he was stumbling over like three different jokes he was trying to make about her name at the time. Because <laughs> he was he was a senator from Minnesota. He was yes. new, relatively new at that point, too. Yes. And uh, yeah, and I was there. I spoke for a little bit on that, that panel. And it was wonderful that the commissioners came out to, um, to hear from uh, this community event in, in Minneapolis. You know, anytime we traveled, we would meet with the community. That was first and foremost in her mind. Mm -hmm. and, and so many commissioners do that when they travel. They want to hear directly from the people. And then we would try to pack in as much content as possible. So I worked with her on broadband and wireline and universal service issues. But there were times that I would have to cover other things like she would be doing with other of her advisors, like on media issues. Um, in that particular trip, what really sticks out in my mind is not only meeting with the community, but it was the beginning of the net neutrality debates and exactly yep. what the FCC would do on net neutrality. It was just before we voted the order on net neutrality that actually set rules for the first time. Now, those ended up getting overturned, and the FCC ended up having to do them all over again um, during the Wheeler administration. However... And they kept getting stricter and stricter. The industry should have just settled for what they had. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Comcast and Verizon have challenged at times the orders that have come out of the FCC, and you're absolutely right. <laughs> they just get stricter as they come. And I think we'll see net neutrality again be a discussion, right. but it's... It was, it's important for policymakers at all levels, right, to really get into the community, talk to them. It's the community 
piece where you're hearing from your constituents, it's the boots on the ground. Like they know what the challenges are. Mm -hmm. I think it's hard to appreciate it. In Washington, we have other challenges, right? But but to, to really be able to talk to them, to listen to them, to take those ideas as well as seeing what concepts have worked and then bring that up, shine a light on it so other communities are aware of it as well. And then how can we inject those ideas into the federal policy mm-hmm. um, so that we can do a better job across the nation? Right. It was really such a unique experience. I say as much, I do love my job now, but mm-hmm. working for a commissioner of the FCC is by far, you know, the best experience of my career. And Mignon is incredible. And I want to, we'll get back to Encompass one second, but the last thing I just, <laughs> I feel like I can't ever talk about Mignon without recognizing that, she picked up the prison phone justice issue and no one else would, right? It's because when you're an FCC commissioner, you have 10 things you want to do. Realistically, you can focus on three and maybe win on two, I'm guessing. Like, yeah. And like to, to make prison phone justice such a big issue was just a, such a, a sign from her that like that she viewed it as important when like other commissioners I'm sure agreed with her but they're like I'm going to spend my time on this other thing that's more likely to succeed or this or that. but like the fact that she made that such a, for people who aren't aware like this is a totally horrible system that just results in higher crime rates and it's just there's no good outcomes that except for a few people get rich on it so I just I always commend her for that well thank you um she deserves a lot of credit. So when she was a state commissioner in South Carolina, they reformed the in-state rates for prisoners. And it's really the families who are paying these rates. And she saw it from that perspective and the good that came about as a result of those reforms. So she knew if we could do it for the interstate rates that consumers have to pay in order to stay in touch with their loved ones, that it could really make a difference for them. Mm -hmm. And it was a real honor to work with her on that issue. And it, you know, this is about keeping families together. So is broadband, right? Like this is really about this basic communication ability for people to stay in touch with each Mm -hmm. other, um, no matter the circumstance. And we need to recognize that incarcerated individuals um, oftentimes are the breadwinners of their families, Mm -hmm. um, but also that they need that family connection. It will help them reform. She recognized that. And so it was a real pleasure to work with her on that issue and to make a difference in people's lives. I mean, that was a real difference that we made in people's lives. Yes. And there's uh, there's so much more that I would I could spend a while talking about that because I feel so strongly about that as well. Just the fact that it's counterproductive as well as cruel, like um, is uh, is two separate things. But but the um, one of the things that you mentioned on the panel gets back to what you were starting to say about the wholesale requirements for the new networks that are being built. And so I want to touch on that because you mentioned the post office. So can you walk us through um, why the post office is relevant for this discussion? Oh, sure. So this discussion that we were having about overbuilding, the question had come up, like, what can we do to ensure that those who are being funded aren't just providing a monopoly service and aren't really you know, meeting all the needs of, of everyone in the community. So one of the things that we have suggested is that follow the 96 Act model, and that is require that the funding is tied to these obligations that they provide service as a wholesale matter to other ISPs. 
So today we represent a number of providers in the marketplace who deliver service to customers who have multi-locations throughout the U.S. And one of our member companies, Granite Telecommunications, that's based in the Boston area, provides service to every single U.S. post office across the nation. And the beauty of it is, is that they are one service provider. So the U.S. post office only has to call Granite to get their service and to be able to you know, deal with any particular issue that comes up with their service. So as the U.S. post offices get served now with broadband access through potentially this funding that's coming, we wanna be sure that Granite can continue to be their service provider and be able to offer service to all of them across the U.S. So as those post offices get the upgrades and they go from you know, dial up to now broadband access, we want to be sure that Granite can still be their service provider. Um, so what they do is they aggregate. You know, they deal with every single ISP across the nation to make sure that they can provide the service that's available. And in some instances, Granite's able to, to build and provide the connection themselves. But in many of these instances, it doesn't make a lot of business sense for there to be a number of builders, right? It only makes business sense for there to be one, but they should provide wholesale access. Some folks say, well, you know, we don't really want to regulate rates. Well, this isn't regulating rates. This mm -hmm. is you're going to make available wholesale what you already make available at a retail level. And mm -hmm. this is stuff that the states are very familiar with because it was in the 96 Acts pretty simple to, to abide by so we don't think it's really difficult in, on the enforcement issue the big companies do this already right yeah. so like like let's yeah. say that i don't know how, how the I, i'm sure you probably have noticed some specific examples but let's make one up right <laughs> at&t has a contract with like marriott or something like that right yeah. and like there's a bunch of cities where at&t doesn't have a lot of fiber they probably yeah. have a deal with another like tier one telco yep. in which they just they get it right and so like they get they do this regularly because yes. they have these national contracts yes absolutely so it's something that all the carriers are very familiar with this won't be hard to implement and it mm -hmm. just ensures that there's a level of competition and that we're not just funding monopoly networks right um, so as we're wrapping up, we've already taken more time than I than I thought, just because it's wonderful talking to you. <laughs> Likewise, the, um, the uh, Fletcher Kittredge joined, and you have a story about like how he came Thank to join. Thank you for coming back to that. Um, so Fletcher joined about five years ago. So we we had a bit of a challenge. Another trade association that represents the incumbents, who I shall not name had filed a petition at the FCC looking for the opportunity to deregulate what we called unbundled network elements. Um, so at the time we had a- Sorry, this, this is BDS, right? Also like- Yeah, it was it was like kind of the leftover issue mm -hmm. as a result of BDS, which is business data services. Some people think of them as special access services have been deregulated at the beginning of the Trump administration. Mm -hmm. And so there was a follow on petition to say, well, we should essentially do the same thing for unbundled network elements, which was part of the 1996 Telecom Act. And that's what allows like Dane Jasper and Fletcher and others exactly. to, to use their equipment to yeah. use incumbent copper lines to deliver services exactly. to lots of people. We we already have member companies, and you just mentioned Sonic, Dane Jasper, who uses unis to build his customer base up, and then he builds fiber to them. We began to work on this issue, and a number of, of companies didn't have any representation in the docket, and so Fletcher Kittredge was one of them. GWI came to us and said, hey, we see you're working on this. We want to mm. work with you. A number of other companies as well. Um, there were different unbundled network elements that were impacted, um, but we were able to bring this coalition together and say to the FCC, like, look, 
we have all these network changes and all these technologies that are coming on board and we need more time to make sure everybody has time to build to their customers. So we were able, and, we, and it was, it turned out the proceeding, well, at times, you know, you see a petition and you think, oh, this is gonna be difficult to work on. And it was at times, but we were able to negotiate an arrangement with the other trade association and its member companies to allow some additional time so folks could begin to transition mm. off of the incumbent telcos unis and, and give them time to build and transition their customers. Now in some situations, you know, there isn't there hasn't been an, enough of an economic case for them to build their own network. Perhaps with some of this funding, there there will be an economic case. Mm -hmm. Um so some of it has been transitioning customers back to the incumbent telco as they've not been able to yes. make other kinds of wholesale arrangements that are not regulated rates. Um but it did help us build up our membership and bring on these new companies and Fletcher Kittredge and GWI is one of them. And as you've heard, Fletcher has his company has been building fiber throughout the Northeast. Um, they've taken funding in some situations and they're looking at funding opportunities now through uh, the, these new programs that are coming on board. And then we have other member companies that are more what I would describe as middle mile fiber companies who I think even if they aren't looking at the funding directly, mm -hmm. they will be working with those who right. are getting the funding to help them build. Because many of them, that's what they do. They're builders, so they'll be building fiber. One of the, the last things I'll say is that one of the things Fletcher just mentioned in his comments is something I think other ISPs might be interested in, which is having calls with, with other ISPs that are members to talk about the supply chain and yes. to get a sense of that. Because like, I mean, that's one of the things that when I talk to some folks, they're like, like what are people saying there about the supply chain? You know, <laughs> what's going on? And we host a weekly call with our members where we're telling them, here's what's going on, here's what we're doing. You know, mm -hmm. you expect to see a draft from us on X, Y, and Z. But it gives them a chance to talk to each other mm -hmm. and about what they're thinking. And in fact, Fletcher, you know, he regularly attends those calls. And even if they don't want to say a lot of things with everybody on, you know, it connects them with other people. And I know offline, they have one-on-one -on -one conversations. Encompass also has a trade show that we put on in the fall. Mm -hmm. Our trade show's coming up in October in Denver at the Sheraton. I think the dates, check me on this, are the 23rd through the 25th. Um, so encourage those who are listening to take a look at our website about information about that. We just hosted our policy summit in early February in person in Washington. We always have it winter into spring in Washington, so look for that next year. We also have webinars. Those are free, so take a look at our website and you can see the content that we run. If you're an ISP and you don't have someone that's representing you in Washington and at the states and, and the local um, communities, feel free to reach out to us. We'd or love to hear you from you. <laughs> Yeah. You could still be a member, I'm guessing, even if you're a member of the, the American Cable Association or something oh, like that. Oh, absolutely. No, and we have several members that are members of several. So, mm -hmm. you know, Sonic, for instance, has been a member of Fiber Broadband Association and Encompass at mm -hmm. the same time. Um, I think associations do different things for their member companies. Mm -hmm. So you may get one thing out of one association, but something very unique out of Encompass. And what I have been told Encompass does very well is we have a lot of information about what is going on. We actually represent our member companies' interests before the government agencies, and we've really made a difference on the policy outcomes for our members. We want to be sure that our members have the opportunity, the opportunity to make it go with their business and to do well. 
when they are doing well, we know their communities are doing well, right? So that's that's where it's been so great working with you, Chris, is because I think we're really aligned on trying to improve the local ex, the local communities and that they have good local experience. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Angie. It's been wonderful. Yeah. I feel like this is this is long overdue, but it's really great to do it in person too. <laughs> it's so great to do it in person. And you just asked me, like, "Hey, can we get together and yeah. I'll do a quick podcast?" And I, at first, I was like deer in the headlights, and then I was like, "Well, of course I'll do that." So thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. Excellent. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org/broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ilsr.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.